The one thing about first class, if you've ever flown on an airplane that had first class, you kind of have to walk through them to get to your seat, because uh, I'd never fly first class, it's always coach. And what's interesting to me is, I don't think they do that because of envy, I think it's just because that's the way the plane is designed, and I don't get envious very often, although yesterday we were driving on the Blue Ridge Parkway, and there were a couple of cars that were convertible, and I thought, man, that would really be the way to do this today. Uh, I don't get a lot of envy, but there's this... I don't know, when, when I think of first class airlines, I think of what it was like when I was in high school and there was the cool kid table and I never got invited to sit at the cool kid table. I was at the middle, kind of middle cool kid table. There was a nerd table, I wasn't there, uh, but I was kind of in the middle. But, the, but, but first class sort of seems like the cool kid table to me. And so I've determined in my life, on my bucket list, is to fly first class. And I was kind of looking it up the other day, what does it cost to fly first class? Because I, you know, if you're going to fly first class, you don't want to do it from like Greenville to Atlanta, that'd be dumb. Uh, So you want to make it a really good long trip. And so um, I've been to Zurich and Miriam Swiss, and so I thought, hey, let me look it up. And so I did, I looked up, what's the cost? It was a random day, I don't remember what day it was. But anyway, a random day flying from Atlanta to Zurich, direct flight, Regularly, for normal, sane, uh, non-first-class people, it's $1,400. First-class costs $2,700. And I was thinking, well, you know, maybe we could do it for our anniversary, but at $2,700, only one of us can go. But um, with FaceTime, it'll be like she's there. And so, uh, really, it's going to be great. It's coming up next year. Have you ever felt like you were second-class, like you weren't quite first-class people? Maybe a little inferior, and I think some of us feel that. Uh, Maybe innately we know we're not, but we can have those days where we feel a little bit off. Y'all remember Rodney Dangerfield, the comedian that used to say, you know, I don't get no respect. Uh, He had a a, a little shtick one time where he said he went to the doctor and he told the doctor, he said, Doc, I think I have an inferiority complex. So the doc ran some tests and came back and he said, well, I got good news and bad news. Uh, The good news is you don't have a complex. The bad news is you really are inferior. And so I think some of us kind of feel that way sometimes. And we have language around this um, even when people make us feel this way. And it's funny it's an, emotional, it's an emotional thing, but we use physical language. So we'll say our feelings are hurt, or that I got kicked in the gut with this, you know, this comment. Or we say things like, um, I'm, my heart is broken. And there's some research around this. Reuters just reported this. There's some research around this that in, in, they, did, they did sort of some brain scans, and they noticed that the same uh, sensors go off when you get physically hurt and when you get emotionally hurt. It's kind of the same feeling. And so when we use that language, it really is kind of the same. And most of us have felt this sting of rejection or we didn't get invited to sit at the cool kid table or we were uh, at, in, on the, in the park and, and we were the last ones chosen. I mean, I think most of us have had that feeling of insignificance. Today we're going to be... In a couple, we're going to look at a couple of verses. First Peter chapter two, if you want to turn there, we're going to look at a couple of verses, mostly chapter nine. We're going to kind of hover there a little bit that will help us understand the big idea for the day, which is this: that you can be a part of something amazing. God wants you to be a part of something amazing. You can be. Now you get to choose, which is kind of cool. You get to choose whether you're going to be a part of something amazing. Or not. So let's look at this verse. We're going to kind of, we're really going to hover on verse 9 for a while today. So if you have that, you might want to find it. Um, But you, he's talking to people who have made a commitment to Christ. You are chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may uh, declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now, when he uses the word priesthood, you have to understand, first century audience would understand this much better than we do, but in the temple there was a curtain that separated people from God, so, so to speak. In fact, the only people that could ever go, go behind the curtain to get into the Holy of Holies were the priests, and really it was the high priest, and the high priest went in there once a year, and so it didn't happen very often. But when it says that we are a holy priesthood, you have to understand, for, for people who would never be in the priesthood, this was really an amazing thing to say. And something happened when Jesus died on the cross that's just amazing. Let me show you this verse from Mark chapter 15. Then Jesus on the cross uttered uh, another loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain that separated uh, God from people, the curtain uh, in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. And then it gives this little interesting detail from top to bottom. It, it's as if, and by the way, uh, this curtain, uh, there's, it's a it's certain amount of cubits wide and cubits tall, and we don't really exactly know what a cubit was, but the estimate is it was about 60 feet tall and 40 feet wide. And, and some estimates had it as much as four inches thick, uh, Anyway, it was, it was uh, substantive, this, this curtain. And it was torn from top to bottom. And, and I think the detail of being torn from top to bottom is it, it's as if God is the one who tore it. Now that Jesus has come on the scene and offered himself as a living sacrifice, a sacrifice uh, for our sins, then now we have access to God through Christ. It's kind of the, the picture here. And we can offer our own sacrifice. Back in the day, you'd have to have a priest do it. And so you would come to the the temple, but you'd have to give your offering to the priest, and the priest would have to prepare it, and the priest would have to take it in. Well, not anymore. And in fact, in Romans, it talks about this whole offering a sacrifice. Uh, I urge you, Paul said, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You, You can do it yourself. You don't need a priest You don't need someone else to do this for you. Now we have access to God directly. It's really a cool thing to think about. So let's go back to our verse because we're going to hover here a little bit. Your chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. You're invited. You can be a part of this. When Peter says you, he's talking about those who have chosen to follow Jesus. It is a conscious decision that you get to make, and then you get to be a part of his family, which, which is really, really kind of cool, and, and the whole language of chosen people. I mean, who doesn't want to be chosen people? Who doesn't want to be in the family? Who doesn't want to be a part of something bigger than themselves? I think most of us want that. And so you might ask the question, well, isn't everyone chosen? Okay, y- yes, everyone is chosen, but not everyone chooses to accept the choosing. I'll, I'll explain. Most common verse, most people know in Scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, loved the world so much, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You memorize this. If you went to Sunday school as a little kid, this is one of the verses that you memorized. And you might have memorized it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But anyway, you get it, that, that Jesus died for all people. You are chosen. But you have to understand something. 
It is a gift that God offers, but you have to take the gift. Let me explain. In college sports, if you're a great high school athlete and you want to play sports in college, and you're really good, let's say you're a really good football player, and somebody, if you're really, really good, you'll get a scholarship offer from a university, Clemson or South Carolina or, or the, the real football school, Kentucky. And uh, you'll get, you'll get a, a scholarship offer. And, and at some point, you might, if you're really good, if you're a really good basketball player, you'll get a lot of scholarship offers. A really good football player, you get scholarship offers. And, and, and at some point, they have a ceremony. Typically, it looks something like this. They'll put the hat out there. By the way, it took me forever to find something that didn't have South Carolina or Clemson on it. Uh, so uh, I just wanted to be neutral. Um, I don't think any of us hate any of these people except Ohio State and Notre Dame. Uh, but anyway, anyway, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just a tease. It's a tease. Hey, where are my Michigan friends? We all hate Ohio State. Uh, really, we really do. We all hate Ohio State. I'm sorry, 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 sorry. Oh, are you a Buckeye? Oh, Jonathan. Oh, oh. Oh, Jonathan, we've liked having you here. Uh, it's been good. Uh, all right, so uh, back to the point. Um, they sit at this table, and the guy's there, and you know, his family or whatever, and, and they have to pick. And so they'll choose one of the hats, and they'll put the hat on, right? And that's, here's the deal. Everyone made the offer, but the person has to pick. Because if all the hats are on the table, all the hats are on the table. I mean, they can pick any of the hats they want to. They choose. With Christ, when he died for us, he put the hat on the table. But you have to choose. It's our choice. He's chosen. He wants us on the team. But you have to choose to be a part of the team. It's your choice. Let's go back one more time. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. These are all amazing words, right? These are all, these are all awesome. These, these, who didn't want to be royal or, or chosen? I mean, or special. We all want this uh, to be said of us. But you have to choose. And some people choose not to follow Jesus. It's a bad choice. It's an option nonetheless. It's a choice with eternal negative consequences, but it's still an option. You can choose, and people choose not to follow Jesus all day long. They do it all the time. It's a bad choice. People make bad choices constantly. Have you ever driven? I mean, people are making bad choices all the time. They just do. And you can choose not to follow. It's your choice. It just is. Now, when it says... God loved the world. The world means that God loves everyone in the world. And there are people who say, well, yeah, but this is just for good people. So if, if God's going to choose me, like the, let's, let's go back to, the, uh, let's go back to the, the sporting analogy. Those guys are made an offer because they're good at what they do. <laughs> I was never offered a scholarship. You want to know why? Because I couldn't play anything very well. I was... I was a backyard, go-to-the-park kind of guy. I wasn't good enough to get a scholarship offer. So maybe you're saying, okay, well, that analogy doesn't work all the way through, and it really doesn't work all the way through. Because to get a scholarship offer, you have to be pretty good at something. To get this offer from the Lord, you don't have to be good at anything. You don't have to clean up. Too many people are say, will say to me, well, I've got to get my act together before God will accept me. Well, no, that's not exactly how it works. He offered the scholarship before you were worth Worthy of the scholarship. 
Look at what it says in Romans 5.8. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. What? For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even before we were worth it, because in, in our mind, because we were before we were worth it in our minds, because here's the deal. When, when God looks at us, you're worth it. You are worth it. You are special. When he sees you, even in your sinful state, he sees a royal priesthood, uh, uh, someone chosen, someone special. That's how he looks at you. He sees you, well, he sees you as worthy of his son dying for you. And so you're, you're at the table and you get to pick. Am I going to, I've been offered a scholarship. I've been offered to be a part of the family. But I have to accept that offer. Am I going to choose to be a part of it? In John 1 it says, He gave the right and the power to become children of God to those who received Him. We have to choose. He gave this to those who put their trust in Him. We still have to choose. Too many of us are trying to work our way in. If I'm good enough, then God will accept me. And in fact, some of us are thinking, if I'm good enough, God will have to accept me. Well, good enough isn't, our good enough really isn't good enough. And, and, and so, we have to accept Christ, His offer to come into the family. That's the only way for us to be saved. Look, look at what it says in 1 Peter 2.24. He Himself bore our sins in His body because He had to. Somebody has to pay. And this came at a high cost, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for his, by his wounds we're healed. Let me tell you a, a sad story. This is a guy named Nicholas Kristof. He's a, um, a reporter for New York Times. He went to Cambodia, and he wanted to, he wanted to buy a couple of, of women out of prostitution. And the stipulation was they were forced into prostitution. He wanted to find two women that were forced into prostitution, that wanted to get out, and that would tell their story. And so his notion was, I'm going I'm to buy them out of prostitution, I'll do an article or a story about this, and then they'll be free to not be prostitutes. And so, he, um, the, the first woman, it was pretty easy, uh, uh, her name was uh, Sray Neth, and young woman, and so he paid $150 for her, and the, the owner of the brothel, uh, sold him this woman and gave him a receipt. Just think about how nutty that is, but it's true. Now, Sarai's mother was also a prostitute, and so he attempted to buy her, but she was worth more to the brothel owner, and so there was some negotiation, and it cost him $203. Think about it. Are you just thinking about that just for a second, the cost of a person's life? $203, $150, it's pretty sad. Bought her for $203. Now, here's what's the sad part of the story. This woman didn't want to leave the brothel because she had pawned her phone, her cell phone, and it would take $55 to get the phone back, and she wasn't going to leave without her cell phone. Now, he had bought her freedom. This guy, Nicholas Kristoff, had bought her freedom for $203, and she wasn't going to leave without her cell phone. The price had been paid. The freedom, all she had to do was accept the freedom. She just had to walk out the door. And she wouldn't do it because something was holding her back. And it was something as insignificant as a cell phone. And she just wouldn't leave. 
And so Christoph eventually agreed to pay for the cell phone because everybody in the brothel, including the brothel owner, was saying, choose freedom. You've got to choose freedom. How could you not choose this? And she wasn't going to choose this. And he bought the cell phone, and then she wanted him to pay for the jewelry that she had also pawned. And it's just such a sad story. And here's what it says to me. There are people who have lived in captivity to sin for so long, it's almost like we don't know how to get away from it. I like the offer of freedom in Christ, but I still like some of this stuff I used to have. I still like some of my buddies. I still like some of the things I used to do. That still brings me joy. And so while the offer of Christ seems too good to be true, it's freedom, it's eternity with God. This is a really good offer, but I've got some stuff I want to cling to. It's a sad story. It's a story that plays out not just in the life of these girls, but also in our lives. So when you think of royalty, who do you think of? Elvis? Uh, Do you think of, I wrote some down, Um, Lady Di, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Latifah, uh, my favorite queen, Um, Prince Harry, Prince William, Prince Charles, the artist formerly known as Prince. There's a lot of princes out there. When you think of royalty, who do you think of? Now, in Peter's day, royalty and priesthood were reserved for a very, very few people. Kings married their daughters off to other kings' sons. In fact, if you weren't born into royalty, you weren't getting into royalty. I don't care how many Hallmark movies you've seen, that just didn't happen. And in in Peter's time, if you were royal, you were separated from people who weren't royal. And nobody married a commoner. Nobody married a commoner. It never, ever happened. So, flush all the hallmark out of your mind. That just didn't happen. You want to know how you were a priest? Well, number one, you had to be Jewish. Everybody who's a Gentile in here, we, get, we got no chance to be a priest. If you want to be a priest in the Jewish nation, you had to be of the line of Levi. You had to be a Levite. There were 12 tribes. You had to be of that tribe. That's the only people that got to be priests. Nobody else, you had to be born into it. So Peter says, hey, you can be a royal priesthood. You can be, um, you can, you can be uh, uh, royalty and a priest. And, and, and everybody there was like, no, we can't because we weren't born into it. And that's what makes the offer amazing. When Elise was little, Elise is in here, she's 13. When she was little bitty, she had a little tiara, uh, plastic and a little wand. And she would act like she was a princess. She'd have her little princess dress, and that was always cute. And when I would dress up to do a wedding with a, you know, a, a tie, which I hardly ever do, but I'd have a tie on, I'd come down with my suit and tie, she would call me a handsome prince. I loved that, but it wasn't true. The handsome part was true, but uh, the prince part was not true. And for me to be a prince, I'd have to like, buy an island and, and coronate myself you know, as King Joseph, which has a great ring, but uh, really not, not who I am. It was just not true, and it can't be true. But when Peter says, hey, you're a royal priesthood, their their heads would be spinning off their necks because how can they do this? This was reserved just for people who were special. And here's the truth of the matter. We're going to talk about Megan in just a second. Oh, wait a minute. I went too too, too far. With Jesus, nobody's become somebody's. No matter... If you think you're a nobody, it really doesn't matter if you think you're a nobody because nobody's become somebody's. However, the next point is with royalty and priestly status, you have privileges and you have obligations. Let me go to Megan Markle. 
Uh, she became the Duchess, let me get this right, the Duchess of Sussex in 2018. She married that dude. What's his name? Do y'all know that? I didn't even know that. Okay, uh, Prince Harry, who's sporting a pretty sweet hat. All right, so, now, does anybody know where uh, Meghan Markle's from? Canada? California. I think California. But maybe Canada. I don't know. Here's the point. I don't care. Uh, she isn't from Britain. Not Britain. So, Queen, uh, Queen, what's the Queen's name? Elizabeth? Is that right? Good. All right. Queen Elizabeth decided she needed Duchess lessons. Seriously. I read this in Cosmo. It has to be true. Uh, uh, Duchess lessons. For six months, she had duchess lessons because you can't just be a duchess. I mean, you can't just do anything you want to when you're royalty. Now, even with duchess lessons, she's made some grievous mistakes. I'm glad you're sitting down because I'm going to mention some of them to you. Uh, Oh, now you're not even sitting down. Uh, Ronnie's not even sitting. It's too much for Ronnie to take. Don't want to hear about Meghan Markle. Okay, it's okay. It's all good. All right, you're sitting, right? These are some of the mistakes she made. I can hardly say I'm out in public. She wore blue jeans to Wimbledon. Uh, I mean, can you believe? That It doesn't seem to surprise you people. Uh, you're not as sophisticated, evidently, as the Brits. She wore blue jeans to Wimbledon, and you would have thought she had committed a crime. You know what else she did? You know what else? She hugged Beyonce. Mm, you don't hug no Beyonce. I mean, she did it, though. She hugged Beyonce, and, oh, my word, she had her baby named, I bet some of y'all know this, Archie Harrison Mount, Mountbatten Windsor. When we name kids, we were, I'm lucky to get two names out. Uh, they got four. Um, she had her baby not where she was supposed to in the Lido wing of St. Mary's Hospital. I, I, I'm aghast. Are you all as well aghast with all these things? She's making all these faux pas because she doesn't know how to be a duchess. All right, here's my point. Uh, You all weren't as surprised about any of that as I had hoped you would be, but that's okay. When we become a follower of Christ, we we have benefits. When she became the Queen of Sussex, or whatever it is, the Duchess of Sussex, she has benefits and responsibilities. When we become part of the family of God, when we uh, join with Christ... We have responsibilities, but we also have benefits. Let's talk about them, okay? Some of the benefits. First benefit is access. Hebrews 10 says, Since we have a great high priest, it's talking about Jesus, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. We have access. In some places, in some religions, it's as if you have to go through somebody to get to God. You have to have somebody pray for you. Now, praying with you is one thing, praying for you is something else. We, can, we have direct access to God through Jesus because we are followers of Christ. This is awesome. On Tuesdays, I work from home. It's a little less loud and, and you know, just a little less interruptions, and I can focus and concentrate at home, and I work from home. I, I do my study day on Tuesday at home. But I also have exceptions to who I will let interrupt me. And so if I look at my phone, my list is pretty short of people that can interrupt me. Anybody from the office can interrupt me because they know I'm working, and they wouldn't interrupt me if they didn't know it was important. And so if you know Chris calls or Miss Robin calls, I'll take those calls. If my wife or any of my kids call, I'll take those phone calls. If President Trump ever were to call me, 
I'd take that call because he needs me to help him. Uh, so I'd be happy to help him because he's got some stuff I'd like to tell him. And so uh, uh, I'd be happy to take that phone call. Now, that list is a little bit limited. The, uh, access to me on Tuesday is a little bit limited. Now, if it's an emergency, Robin will call me and let me know and that kind of thing. So I, I'm still available, but I kind of want to be where I can focus on studying for, for the sermon, that sort of thing. All right. When we become followers of Christ, this text tells us that he, the, another text tells us that he sits at the right hand of God. He is making intercession for us. And so we have an opportunity to go directly to the throne of God. We can pray directly to the throne of God, which is an amazing thing if you think about it. Um, in most cases, relationship heightens access. Look at what 1 Peter 3.12 says. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and, he hear, and his ears are open. He's eager to hear their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. And, and if you read this, let me explain this to you, because I don't want you to think that if a sinner prays that God doesn't hear, that's not what he's saying. He's saying when people are, who are in relationship with God pray to do the right thing, God is eager to hear that. When people who aren't in relationship with God are praying, it would be like a, 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 a bank robber praying that the robbery goes well. Well, you could pray that, but that he's not eager to hear that. Uh, the Lord turns his face against that. So that's what we're talking about here. We have access where others don't. Let's go back to our verse because this is really cool. Those who uh, God chose were a royal priesthood, holy nation, special people. Um, that we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. God wants to bless us to help others find the wonderful light. In fact, his ambition is that we help others find the wonderful light. So the first benefit is access. The second benefit is identity. This, the next verse, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. It's just sort of incredible, this, this identity that God gives us. In fact, we bear the name Christian. We, we, we take on his identity just in who we call ourselves. Uh, my girls, when they played sports, and uh, many of you, maybe you don't know, we have four daughters, and Elise is the only one home now, but our three older daughters, uh, they would get sweatshirts and, and for every team, every team. We have a million sweatshirts. Elise has a, a, we have a room, a sweatshirt room. Uh, we have so many sweatshirts. They just have lots of sweatshirts. And on the back they would put vest. And I would always love that when they would come into the room or come into a gym and they would have vest on the back because they were claiming me. I thought, hey, they're claiming me as their dad. They're vests. They're, they're, they're my people. I'm their people. Now, this text is telling us, let me go back to it just for a second, that once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. You get to call yourself Christian. The, the very word is Christian. You, you had no identity, but now you do have an identity. We, we take on his identity. The third benefit is this. We have an inheritance. Look at these verses. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And again, think about what this must have seemed like to people who lived 
a subsistence existence where it was hand to mouth. They hardly had enough for themselves, and now they have an inheritance. They have something that they can pass on to their children. They have an inheritance in heaven as well, and they have something that's worth something. I love this picture. Her her name is um, Peggy Lean Bartles. In 2009, Ghana, the, the king died, and to pick a new king, they have an interesting uh, way of doing that. They pour schnapps on the ground, which is some kind of alcohol. They pour schnapps on the ground, and they read the name of the king's, um, uh, his relatives. And whatever name they're reading at the time the schnapps starts to steam, that's the name, that, that's the person that becomes king. It's not a great way to do it, but it's the way they do it. And so they were reading the names, and this young lady's name was read, and the snop started to steam, and she became the president, not the president, the king of Ghana in 2009. And she said, well, wouldn't it be better if I was the queen? And they said, no, the only position open right now is king. And so she is not the queen of Ghana. She's the king of Ghana. Now, look at what she received as king. Uh, when she goes back to Ghana, by the way, uh, for 30 years she worked at the Ghana Embassy in uh, Washington, D.C., and she still does. She only splits time in Ghana, which is kind of interesting for a king, I would think. Um, uh, she has a driver and a chef and an eight-bedroom palace that needs repair, uh, which is kind of interesting. She has the power to resolve disputes, appoint elders, and manage a 1,000-acre farm. This is what she got as king of Ghana. She's a, a great Christian woman, from what I understand, and this is a cool story because out of the blue, she became the king. And out of the blue, you can become a follower of Christ. And you don't, inherit a, you don't get an inheritance of a, a broken down palace. You get an inheritance of, what, what did it say? You, you get a priceless inheritance uh, that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled. It never needs repair uh, beyond the reach of change and decay. And it is there uh, eternally. This is the, the inheritance that we get. Now, we do have an obligation. Look at this responsibility that we have. Again, we're carrying on First Peter 2. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners in this world to keep from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see you, your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when He judges the world. Uh, I'll boil that down to, to one sentence. Uh, we're to live like we're part of God's family. When we become followers of Christ, we're to live like we belong to the family. Like we are part of the family. And in this text it says, you know, your neighbors are watching this and they see how you live. And so you're a great neighbor. And even though they might not like how you live, they're going to respect how you live because you are part of God's family. Because ultimately... Our significance lies in how many people we influence for Christ. Really nothing else. You, you can be a great banker. You can be a great athlete. You can be a great lots of things. But, but ultimately, our relationship with Christ and how we share it with others is what really matters. If you have ever felt insignificant in your life, you shouldn't. Someone died for you. You've, 
you have an offer to be a part of uh, the family of God, um, there's nothing insignificant about that. Father, we thank you for uh, this message, for what you're teaching us and showing us. We're thankful, Father, that, uh, that you give us an opportunity to get, come from darkness to light, to, to go from slavery to freedom. We're thankful that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us and that we have an offer on the table to be a part of your family. Help us, Lord, to love you well. Help us to, to, to accept the offer. If we've never accepted the offer, Lord, if there's anyone here who's never accepted the offer to be a part of your family, to follow your son, then I ask that today would be their day. We pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.